marriage can be hard, particularly when you're driving in a car um, downtown trying to get someplace. It can be a challenge for people, I've been told. Okay, I've experienced that firsthand. Um, But it's amazing what you can do together as a couple. It's amazing what your marriage is capable of. It has an incredible power. It it can survive things like road trips with children. It it can save a city, apparently. Uh, Marriage has the power to save. And yet today we live in a time when it's often imitated, but imitations fall short. An interesting study came across not that long ago. They had a group of psychologists and brain neuro people that, you know, attach probes to your head to scan the different things that are happening in your brain. And I I think how this went is they had some sort of MRI set up and they were scanning uh, a part of the brain that we don't really have much conscious control over. And they were trying to figure out the amount of peace that we got from being with other people. And so they had participants sign up to come in, and they would put a a probe on uh, the lady's ankle, and then they would shock her periodically. This, uh, who signs up for these things? I don't know, but I'm sure it was federally funded. And um, so, I'm sorry, that that didn't need to come out. So anyway, so she's sitting there about to get shocked, and she's got a couple choices. Choice one is she can hold the hand of her significant other. Uh, Choice two, she can hold the hand of a complete stranger choice three is she can go it alone. And they end up going through all of these. Now, here was the interesting part of the study is that half of the people who brought in a significant other, it was actually their spouse. It was somebody that they were married to. So the woman and her husband came in. The other group of people uh, was a lady who was in a committed long-term relationship with a man, but they were only living together. They weren't married. And so researchers wanted to see what is the effect, what is the difference in sort of the center of of peace in the mind. And so as the the gals were sitting there, they had been told they were about to be shocked. Um, They were holding the hand of their spouse or with, you know, a, a boyfriend that they'd been with for a long time. And researchers found that uh, the gals who were married had this sense of peace, this, this, the way they could you know, read it in the brain. The brain was very calm in that center, and it, it seemed that they were feeling you know, as comfortable as you could feel knowing that you're about to be shocked. Whereas the gals who were holding the hand of a very long-term boyfriend, somebody they had even lived with for an extended period of time, uh, they had no effect on their brain. It was the same as if they were holding the hand of a stranger, which was only moderately better than facing it 100% alone. And so researchers, as they started to pull this apart and try to figure out what is the difference, the only difference they could come up with was that one gal knew that this person was married to them. They were covenanted together in marriage. The other just knew that, you know, things were working out right now. And so they assumed that there was something that our minds are aware of in the deepest part where we don't even have a conscious awareness of, but that somehow we as human beings have an awareness in our deep parts, in our deep thoughts uh, about what it means to be in a covenant relationship like marriage. And I guess that stood out to me is that for for all that we might say about, you know, playing house and and cohabitating and doing all these things, and I know that that's super popular, maybe this is your scenario right now, uh, I would say this, I would say there's something I think deep inside of us that just knows that that's not 
quite what we really want. That's not quite the thing that we were created for, that deep type of true intimacy. And once you have that kind of true intimacy, it seems that everything else is a cheap imitation that doesn't quite come close to that. You see, marriage has incredible powers. It has the power to save you. And the reason why marriage has the power to save is because in a healthy marriage, each person is working for the good of the other. They're working to benefit the other. They're working to help their spouse become the best version of who they were created to be. Paul says it like this in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says this, he says, The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality, the husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Now, Paul is speaking about this very intimate piece of marital, physical intimacy. But he says that, that in its core, in that very place, Paul says that is an act of mutual sharing. It is an act of mutuality. It is an act of respect. The husband respects his wife, and the wife respects her husband. And when that happens, when you have a a kind of relationship where there is that respect and there is that mutuality, then our deepest needs can be met. The need to love and be loved, the needs to to know and to be known, to to be respected and to respect somebody, to, to cherish and to be cherished. The problem, however, is this, is that we live in a time when we don't set up relationships with that kind of covenant. We don't set up relationships with a long-term you know, view in our mind. We don't, we don't treat each other with respect. We're maybe even encouraged to, to use each other. And it seems to me that men in particular have been permitted, maybe even encouraged to use women rather than to form lifelong partnerships with them. This has happened in Hollywood. It's happened in Congress. Unfortunately, it's even happened in the church. And it seems to me that we're at a bit of a turning point, perhaps, that our society has decided that we've had enough of this, that with the the recent Me Too movement, we see that there's a clear shout telling men to stop objectifying and using women. And as I thought about that and as I read this text that Paul wrote to a a culture and a city and a time not so different from ours, I I think that his words are incredibly relevant for us today. He he talks about the place of intimacy and and the physical nature of that. In 1 Corinthians, he says this. He says, it's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. You you see, I, I think the image is this, is that intimacy is a little bit like a fire. And when you put it in the fireplace, it's a good thing, and it keeps things warm, and it draws people together, and it provides warmth and light to the home. But when it gets out of the fireplace, it's catastrophic, and it's damaging, and it threatens to burn everything down. That's the power of intimacy. But when we put each other first, and we realize that there is soul and mind attached to body, and we start to celebrate that and appreciate that, and we bring that all together, and we put that together, it's then that Scripture describes that the two become one flesh. And it's only in marriage, under the protection, in the covenant relationship there, that can that total amount of true spiritual intimacy be achieved. 
You see, that's why the marriage has the power to save. It saves us from temptation by bringing us all together, not as segmented people or just a drive that, that wants to go in one way or the other, an appetite that needs to be filled, but understanding that we have this desire to, to know and be known and love and be loved and to be part of a committed covenant relationship. Now, if you're here this morning and you're single, I just want to say this, that next week we're going to talk all about you. This morning we're going to talk marriage. Next week we're going to talk about super singles. So stay with us. Stay tuned. Uh, but also I would say this, you know, marriage is one of those things that's, that's worth uh, anticipating, that's worth planning for and preparing yourself for to come into it as a whole person who has much to contribute to somebody else. All right, the marriage has the power to save it. And here's the good news is that you, if you're married, you have the power to save your marriage. Now, Jenny and I just, uh, Friday, we celebrated 16 years of marriage. And that was a lot of fun because we were also doing uh, the wedding rehearsal and then the wedding yesterday for uh, Casey Bransford and Jonathan Collins uh, here. And so that was kind of a lot of fun for us. And and it was fun to see a couple get married and for us to celebrate 16 years. And you know how this works. You just kind of naturally look back and you think back on, you know, when you got married and, and you know, all the different experiences that we've shared. And, and now we've got three kids and, and all the places we've been. But as I reflected on it, I, I came to this realization that marriage, it, it just gets better with time if, if you work at it. You know, not every marriage gets better with time. I mean, obviously, experience in, in history tells us that. Some, some seem to get worse, but, but, but I, I, if you stick together and you're committed and you work hard and you've got God in that marriage, I really believe that marriages get stronger with time. That when they come to a challenge or an obstacle, they face it, they overcome it, they learn from it, and they adapt. You know, here's the thing we're all going to make mistakes, I make mistakes. You know, you say something out of line, and, and yet you, in a healthy marriage, you learn from it. You make a change, and you grow, and you become more mature, and you become the person that you wanted to be more. And marriages get better with time. But it's hard work, and it's sacrifice that makes that possible, which is why Paul in the text is going to tell us, he's going to say, stay together. Uh, let's look at the way he says it. He says it this way. He says, if you're married, stay married. This is the master's command, not mine. In other words, he says, Jesus says this. He says, if a wife should leave her husband, she must either remain single or else come back and make things right with him. And a husband has no right to get rid of his wife. Now, now here's the truth. In reality, tells us this. And if you've experienced a divorce, I'm not telling you anything new. Uh, a, a divorce causes great pain. And that's why I believe the Bible tells us that God hates it. He hates the pain that it brings. He hates the damage that it does to people, to individuals, to couples, and to children. But Scripture also tells us that God understands divorce. He, he, he understands it in certain situations. If you look through Scripture from the Old Testament to the New, uh, and I unfortunately don't have time to get into all of the texts and, and show these to you, although I'd be glad to talk with any of you about this later. But it seems to me that in Scripture, you've got three you know, reasons that God says, I understand divorce. Uh, one's adultery, another's abuse, and the third is abandonment. And you know, God says, you know, I get it here. But the overarching narrative and the overarching theme of Scripture is this, is that you, you work it out. And you don't stop working it out until there is no hope of not being able to work it out. You never stop, never stopping trying to make it work. 
Now, it seems kind of rigid. I I get that. In a society where so much of what we have and do is disposable, and and so many of our relationships we have just sort of come and go, it it seems that this is a very rigid kind of teaching to have. And and maybe we would say, maybe it's lost its place in in our modern world. But but here's the truth, is that marriages, I think, are a lot like plastic. Plastics, you know, we know don't break down, like they last forever. You know, uh, plastics were supposed to be like every, you know, it's going to solve all of our problems. And now we realize that the world is going to be filled with plastics because they just, they don't ever go away. They stick with us forever. You know, you throw plastic away, but it's not really gone. It's going to be in the dump, not just for your life, but for your children's life. And that's how that is. And, And marriages are a lot the same way. You know, even if you get divorced and you move on, you're still affected by that first relationship. You're still affected by that deep, intimate connection that you had with your spouse. And so, you know, you might have moved on, but the effects of it are still there. And they might last for your lifetime. They might last for the lifetime of your kids. And so the question is, you know, what condition is it going to last in? I've got a little picture here. This is a Luke Skywalker uh, toy here. Uh, this is actually one of the very first sort of action figures. I've done a little bit of learning about this. This particular Luke Skywalker, he sold for, wait for it, $25,000. Yes, three zeros at the end. Correct. Now, it's not that Luke here is particularly rare, or there's not even much of a likeness to him, although he's got that bathrobe on. Um, there was, this was a couple hundred thousand were mass produced here in the 70s, okay? Hundred thousands of these things, okay? There's a lot of them. It's not like this is rare. They were all over. And if you got real motivated and you had like an excavator and a shovel and a paintbrush, you could probably go to the dump somewhere and you could probably dig through the layers of all of the city's trash and you could probably get down to that layer of the 70s and you could probably find a lot of those polyester pants. That's plastic too. That's not going anywhere anytime soon. And you could finally dig until you found a Luke Skywalker action figure. Now, the problem is that the Luke Skywalker action figure you find in the dump, it's still going to exist, but it's not going to be worth a whole lot. Why? Because it's not been taken care of. It, it, it hangs around, but it's not worth much. Friends, that's, I think, a good picture of our marriages. Our marriages, they last, and they have effects that last and effects that linger, but, but what condition do they exist in? Well, that's determined by us. That's determined by me and by you and how we take care of them. And yet it seems that we live in a time when more people put effort and time and money into a wedding than into a marriage. I ran across this uh, gal by the name of Samantha Burns. She uh, uh, fashions herself to be a, a relationship coach, a love coach. She got married three years ago. And uh, on her wedding day, after the reception, she said, you know what? I spent way too much money on this dress to only wear it this one time. And so she told her husband, she said, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to wear this every year on our anniversary. And he wasn't so sure that that was going to happen, but but he said, okay. So their first anniversary, they go to the driving range, and she is wearing her wedding dress. And the second anniversary, she said that was a little bit harder to get zipped into that thing, but, but uh, she said they went to a um, I don't know, cafe or something, and, and there's pictures, and you can see all this stuff, but 
But she started to write about it, and she said, you know what? She said, it, it, it made so much sense to me that I was going to come back and put this back on every year because it was a reminder to me that I needed to put as much time and effort and energy into my marriage as I did into my wedding. And so she started doing this, and she started chronicling this. They've only been married three years, so you know, I, who knows how long that's going to last. But I, I think that the sentiment, that's really good. That, that there's a reminder for us to say, you know what, we want to put time and energy and effort into bringing our best self into having our best relationship that we can. Now, I want to just sort of pause for a minute because I know that in this room, we've got couples here who are just struggling in their marriage. Uh, I, I know that. I talked with or listened to a guy who's a marriage counselor, been a marriage counselor for decades. And he said, you know, 80% of, of the marriages that people lived in he felt were what he called a hard fit, that you had to really work hard and you had to struggle to make your marriage last. And so if that's the case, then that's a lot of you here today. And, and I know that there's others of you here this morning who you've been affected by divorce and you have felt the effects and you still feel the effects of a divorce. And that's something you carry with you. And here's the thing is that this sermon is going to be over in, you know, about 15 more minutes, 10 more minutes. But it's not like a sitcom. I mean, I'll, I'll wrap it all up in 30 minutes, but you're still going to have those issues and those things that you want to deal with. Uh, in your bulletin, you'll see that there is a little note there about our care and support ministry. We have two counselors here at the church who, who volunteer, who give their time to help folks work through issues like this. And so if that's you and you're going, man, I, I could really use some help in my marriage or, or I need some help sort of processing what went wrong and what happened in the past, give us a call. Let us set you up with that because we're not going to be able to solve all those problems here this morning. I, I won't pretend that we'll be able to do that, but we do want to help you work through that and, and move on with your life in a place of wholeness. All right, I just wanted to sort of put that in here. Uh, third thing I want to say here before we wrap up is this, is that your marriage has the power to save your family if you're faithful in it. Paul's now going to turn and address uh, these marriages that are in the church at Corinth, and, and they're here in our church too, where you've got a believer married to a non-believer. And Paul knows that that's a challenge, and he knows that that's a very real struggle. And so he writes to, to this group of people, and maybe this is you, when he says this, he says, The unbelieving husband shares to an extent in the holiness of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is likewise touched by the holiness of her husband. Otherwise, your children will be left out. As it is, they also are included in the spiritual purposes of God. On the other hand, if the unbelieving spouse walks out, you've got to let him or her go. In other words, Paul says if they leave, there's nothing you can do about that. He says you don't have to hold on desperately. God has called us to make the best of it as peacefully as we can. He says this, he says, you never know, wife, the way you handle this might bring your husband not only back to you but to God. And you never know, husband, the way that you handle this might bring your wife not only back to you but to God. And so I just want to start with a word of encouragement here. If you're here this morning and you've been praying for your spouse for years or for decades, I want you to be encouraged that Paul is saying, listen, your marriage, it has the power to save. It has the power to, to bring your spouse to a place of salvation. Now, I want to be real clear. This is a possibility. Paul says this is a possibility. It's not a promise. It is a possibility. He says, but what brings the potential for that to happen to your spouse is you. It's you that brings the message of Christ and the love of Christ to it. 
And so if you're here this morning and you are a Christ follower and you're wondering how your spouse is going to see God's love, let me just tell you, it's, they're going to see it in you. They're going to see it as you live a life of faithful compassion and conviction. You're not going to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. Jesus was perfect. And so, you know, you can rest on that. But your love and your grace and your attempt is a sign of God's love to them in this world. It's also a sign to the kids. Paul's going to talk about that. He says, you know, your kids have a place in the promise. Now, whenever I do premarital counseling with a couple, I like to sit down with them and, and remind them that marriage hopefully will make you happy, but that God gives you marriage to make you holy maybe more than he does to make you happy. And if you dig into that deep, you will find great happiness and joy. But I say this, I say that, you know, listen, your love should be so committed and strong that your children say, I think God loves us the way the dad loves mom. That's the way that God has designed the marriage to be. And so in the traditional marriage blessing that's used by many preachers, I I use it too. I pray this blessing because I like it. Uh, We pray this. I pray that, God, would you give this married couple grace when they hurt each other to recognize and acknowledge their faults. You see, here's the thing. Nobody's perfect. I'm not going to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect. But in marriage, when we realize we're not perfect, we seek forgiveness and we give forgiveness. And that is a sign of God's love. That our life together is a sign of Christ's love to the sinful and broken world. That unity may overcome estrangement. Why does unity need to overcome estrangement? Because sometimes there are forces that pull people apart. But there's this love that brings us back together. And that's the thing, is that marriage is a sign of God's love. Theologians call it this. They call it a common grace. So what does that mean? It means that it is a grace given to all humanity, regardless of whether or not they believe in God. That that the entire world, you don't have to be a Christ follower to know and enjoy and, and experience the blessing of marriage. That God gives that to everybody. It is a common grace. It is a common gift. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a Christ follower, uh, you're part in your marriage, you're part of God's subversive, sneaky plan to just show the world God's love. That God gave us marriage so that way he could say, this is sort of what my covenant marriage, my covenant love looks like for my church, looks like for my people. That's what marriage is about. And if you think about it, marriage doesn't make a whole lot of sense outside of God's plan. I mean, if we're just completely result of survival of the fittest and, and you, know, you know, passing on traits and genetics and, and all these things and just trying to, you know, you know propagate and, you know, continue the species, there isn't a whole lot of reason for marriage. But there's something inside of us that, that we've learned that says, you know what? I, I need this. I want this. I feel more at home here. And it's not just when you're strapped, you know, getting an electrical shock on your ankle and some MRI tube that that happens. It's, it's just something that happens in life. You know, a marriage is a common grace. It's, it's a love that sacrifices. It doesn't cut corners. It demonstrates compassionate love. It demonstrates an integrity of relationship. It's sort of magnetic. It draws people in. And you can tell these people... When you talk with them, you can, you can sort of sense it when you go to their house and, and you just sense that this is a place of peace. You, you know these people aren't perfect, but they have a grace that draws people in. That's what a good marriage does, is it draws people in. It draws the husband and wife and it draws the kids and it draws the family and it draws people in. That's why marriage has that power to save, is it's magnetic. 
It draws people in with its love. Uh, a guy by the name of Michael Joyce, he is uh, suffering from Alzheimer's disease. Uh, he is uh, married and been married to a gal for 38 years. They live in New Zealand. Uh, he doesn't always know who she is. And for a while, that he, for a long time, he'd forgotten that, that they were even married. Uh, but he loved her, and he was drawn to her, and he wanted to do right by her. And so one morning, um, it was actually earlier this year, he uh, looked at his wife and said, will you marry me? And she said, you know, I've lived with Alzheimer's long enough that I know the answer isn't to say, well, we're already married. And so I said, yes, I would love to marry you. And she said, I thought he would forget about it the next day. But the next morning, he said, it's time for us to make some plans. We need to, if we're going to get married, we need to make sure we do this right. And so he wanted to set a date and set a time and a place and invite friends and invite family and have somebody come in. And so she emailed friends and some family and and even put out on Facebook trying to find a photographer saying, you know, I don't know if he's going to remember tomorrow. I don't know if Saturday he's going to wake up and have forgotten. But, you know, we're going to have a wedding Saturday. You know, it's, it's, it's a reminder to me of how much I love him. And for him, it's, it's his first wedding. So let's do this right. And so they made plans and they made preparations. And Saturday morning comes and she's not entirely sure he's going to remember. But she looked at him and said, today is the day. And so off they went to a place by a scenic lake near their house with friends and family to witness this marriage between this man and this woman. What is it that brings all these people together for this wedding? What is it that makes people want to participate in that? Well, that's kind of what marriage does. It draws people in. It has the power to save, even in places of lostness and desperation and frustration. That's what it's for. This is why it's one of God's incredible superpowers that he's given to us. He's given to us as a sign of his love. And it's a chance for us to walk in love and enjoy and in peace with each other. It takes time. It takes work. It is not easy, but it's worth it. I want to give just a real practical tip. You know, I think a lot of times we leave going, man, I want to make things better. How do I start on this? Well, how about this? Worship team's going to come out, and I want to just say this. You know, I think sometimes in our marriages, the words, I love you, we say them a lot. And sometimes maybe they lose their effect. Um, Marriage counselors notice that couples that that were married for a long time and and had a high level of happiness notice that one of the reasons they had so much happiness is they felt appreciated by their spouse. So maybe the words thank you have as much power, maybe even more, than I love you sometimes. And so I would say this, if, if you're married, why don't you give that a shot today, maybe this week, to, to express your gratitude to your spouse, to thank them for little things and to thank them for big things. And, and maybe as you express and experience some gratitude there, you'll find that that goes a long way. We all want to be appreciated. So that's a challenge for you. Say thanks. Uh, give that a try. This morning, however, I know that some folks here, you, maybe you need us to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. This hasn't been planned in advance, but if, if you're here this morning and you want somebody to pray with you, I'd love for you to come forward. love to do that. Um, I'm sure we'd get some of our staff and elders to come down too if, if we had several folks come down. 
others of you, perhaps you've never experienced God's love. God's love is what marriage points us to. It points us to the love that God has for us. And so this morning, if you've never accepted the love of Jesus, we want to invite you to come forward to experience that, to learn what it would mean for you to experience that. Others of you, you've never made a commitment to, to be a part of the church. If that's the case, we invite you to come forward as well. So if you've got a decision to make, we'll invite you to come forward. Otherwise, let's take this time to celebrate God's love, to celebrate the love uh, that is in our lives that we get to enjoy that's a sign of His. Why don't you stand as we sing?